is the year. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be amazing. We're glad that you're here, whether that means you're in person or online. We're so thankful that you've decided to start a brand new year alongside of us, Sea Rotors, as we learn together this brand new series called Space Invaders. No, it's not just because I enjoy a video game on occasion. We're going to talk about what does it mean to live in love like Jesus really radically despite our age, our stage, our location, our mission, and our moments. So throughout the duration of this month, this is what we're going to be digging into in a deep way, and we're glad that you're starting this adventure along with us. This is the second day of 2022, so here's the good news. If you made a New Year's resolution and you have yet to keep that New Year's resolution, this is only day two, you've got a 50% chance of being, uh, keeping your New Year's resolution from yesterday to today, and hopefully moving forward, you'll be able to do that as well. How many of you have a family member that has complained about their age before? Anybody? Here's this thing about age. I think that we are uber fascinated with age as a culture and a society. When When a baby is born brand new, we count their lifespan by days. And some parents even count it by hours. And you're like, how old is your baby? 473 hours. You're like, I can't even do that math. How old? And then at some point, they move from days to weeks. They move to weeks. And they're like, it's, it's 34 weeks old. It's, you know, however. And then, and then we move from weeks to months. And that's my favorite because you're like trying to pin, pinpoint somebody being like, you know, you're probably about three and a half years old. And then you talk to their parents and they're like, well, there's 38 and a half months. And you're like, ah, just, it's hard to be mindful of our age. I don't know if this happens in your family. I've got an aunt who celebrated her 29th birthday for 30 years running. Does that, does that happen in your family at all? We're fascinated with age. We have to be a certain age before we're able to do something. We have to be a certain age before we get a a discount on something. All sorts of things are motivated around our age. Sometimes we like the idea of turning older. Sometimes we don't like the idea of getting older or growing older. It's weird, this continuum that we happen to be in. Did you know that even the Bible speaks to the gift of age? And that's what we're going to dig into as we start this brand new series, Space Invaders, looking at our age and all the age matters associated with this. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Titus, chapter 2. It's in the New Testament, which is the second kind of portion of the Bible. Titus chapter 2. If you have a digital version, you can open up the YouVersion Bible app and follow along on the, the more section, the events section, Sea Road Live. It's got all of our content right there, all the sermon notes. We're going to dive into this together, and of course, it'll be on screen as well. But I just love for you to be familiar with your word, with the Bible, where stuff is so that you can read it on your own and not just rely on what we do on Sundays for feasting on God's word. Titus chapter 2, I'll be reading the entire chapter starting in verse 1, of course. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, They should teach others what is good. 
These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes and to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will, they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let, every, let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the Lord, when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He, will, he gave his life <clears throat> to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them, but when necessary. So don't let anyone disregard what you say. Talk about a loaded text to start a brand new year. There is a ton in there. We're going to dive into this, immerse ourselves step by step, wading into the water, kind of like a, a polar dip, but we're going to dip in our baby toe first, and then we're going to get knee deep, and then before you know it, we're going to be in over our head. It's going to be amazing. Here's what we need to know about the book of Titus itself, a little bit of framework and understanding. Titus was a letter that Paul, the author of this, this letter, wrote to one of his disciples, people, somebody that was, he invested in, this guy named Titus, who was now a leader in the early church movement. And Titus had the distinction of being sent into the really challenging areas for some course correction. With this particular letter and this particular moment or mission, Titus was being sent into Crete, which is kind of around the Greece area, modern-day Greece. And he was being sent in there because they'd gone a little squirrely with their leadership. They were a house church network, and all these different house churches were bad-mouthing one another. They were infighting. They had poor leadership. And so Titus was being sent by Paul and, and others in the early church saying, hey, buddy, you've got what it takes. Why don't you go and help them course-correct things and make some changes in their leadership structures. Woohoo! We'll cheer you on from a distance. Now, Paul himself didn't accompany Titus for a number of reasons. I think maybe one of them was because he was a little bit shy and afraid. Not true. He was actually under house arrest. And so he was under house arrest, and so he himself couldn't go. So he sent one of his protégés, his disciples, in his presence, in his absence, and sent him on this mission. So imagine getting that from your like mentor. Hey, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something. It's incredibly difficult and challenging, and you might not be liked for it, but here you go. Everything you need, here's your roadmap for success. Will you do it? Some of us might be like, there's no way I would want to go into that situation. Other of us are like, yeah, I'm going to go fight everybody. Let's go. 
The, this is the kind of mentality and challenge and context and culture that Titus would have been stepping into on this mission and this moment. And being a younger, trained, discipled leader, he knew that he would be facing challenges of all kinds, as did Paul. And so Paul wanted to give him all the content that he needed to find success. So let's look at those first couple of verses. We're going to talk about older guys. We're going to talk about all the women. We're going to talk about younger guys. Then we're going to talk about slaves and authorities, and then we're going to talk about Jesus. That's kind of where we're headed for our time together today. So the older guys, Paul starts by chastising and encouraging Titus to have the older guys live wisely. There's this expectation that if they are older in years, they're age-wise, that they would live wisely, that their life would speak to the values and the principles of this God, this Jesus that they think and they say that they follow. Sometimes, I don't know if this happens in your world, sometimes instead of choosing to live wisely, I want to choose to live for the moment. And so right here at the outset of this, this section of the letter is this reminder to Titus of like, no, no, you need these older guys to live wisely. And more than that, you need them to also invest in the next generation of people coming behind them. Now, here's the funny, funny thing about our culture. I said earlier that we're fascinated with age. We're fascinated with the different stages of life and development. And we get to this whole retirement piece. Sometimes that's 65. Sometimes that's freedom 55. Sometimes that's 70. Sometimes that's 80. This retirement piece, it's alluring to all of us. And there's this expectation from a culture and a society that once you reach this stage, you are finished. You're done. There's nothing more for you to do, nothing more for you to offer. So you want to sit back, put your feet up, relax, and enjoy the spoils of all of your labor up to that point. Right here in this moment, Paul is reminding Titus to remind these individuals that's not the case. Saying, no, no, no. You older men live wisely and look for people to invest in. This is why we talk about community regularly here at Sea Road, because it is of great value. Intergenerational, all ages together. You have something to offer. I'll say it like this. If you are still here with us on this side of eternity, you are not finished in your mission and your assignment in God's kingdom. Maybe that's to discover a little bit more about who he is, or maybe that's to make him known in more tangible, credible ways wherever you've been placed, in your family, your neighborhood, your long-term care facility, wherever you happen to be. And far too often in our culture and in our society, what happens is we get to this point with our aids and we kind of wash our hands and say, I'm done learning. I'm done investing. I've put my time in. I've got a 96-year-old grandmother in our in our family, we use the term Oma. When you get to the great-grandmother status, that's the term that we use. It just means grandma. My Oma, about 10 years ago as an 86-year-old, learned to start texting. Why did she do that? Because she recognized if she wanted to have a relational connection with her grandchildren, of which one I am, and her great-grandchildren, 
that she would need to learn to interact with them in their level, in their kind of modality of communication. That's one example from my own family of what happens when you've got an old person, older in years, that sees something of value in other people underneath them who are younger in years and wants to intentionally invest relationally in them. Now you might be thinking, well, Jason, I don't feel old today. I'm young. This isn't for me. Guess what? There's always going to be somebody older than you. There's always going to be somebody younger than you. So if you are eight years old and you're like, Jason, I'm just learning how to tie my own shoes. If you don't know how to tie your own shoes at eight, you might have a little bit more challenges. But all the things that you're learning in the moment, you're like, I, I don't have anything that I can pass along. Here's what following Jesus is all about. It's not about having everything all sorted out and figured out every single moment. It's learning something about Jesus, embracing that something you know about Jesus, and then taking that something and passing it on to someone who has yet to learn that same thing. That's what it means, and that's what Titus is, is kind of is charged with, this invitation to teach, to instruct, and remind older men to invest in the next generation. All of us can be investing in somebody. Despite our age, all of us have the opportunity to invest in somebody. Don't give up. Don't ride off into the sunset. Don't call it a day. Don't say, well, I've been hurt too many times. I'm not going to invest in anybody anymore. Instead, embrace the mission that God is inviting you into and look for people to invest in. That's the older guys. Let's park that for a second and talk about all the ladies. Okay, so verses, I believe, four, five, six, seven, something like that. There's this longer kind of discourse where Paul is writing specific instructions to Titus about ladies around the same thing of investing and in, in, in teaching one another and getting into relationship. And then he uses this word that so many in, in Christendom, so many in Christianity get confused by and get hung up by. He uses the word submit. And to be honest, a lot of people and a lot of traditions and a lot of leaders have used this portion of Scripture to subjugate one gender less than the other. Now, if you go back to the beginning of time, you've got men and women. They're made equally in God's image. Neither is better than the other. That is the full expression of what God has in mind for humankind. Men and women working together. Somehow, culturally, we've gotten to this point where we believe a lie, where submit means to have authority over. Now, here's what submit truly means from a biblical perspective. It means a willingness to partner with. Think about this for a moment. God in heaven does not, inv- does not kind of force himself on you and I does not demand that we do everything the way that he wants us to do. He invites us to do it, but he gives us the freedom of choice to choose the way that you and I live. Other places in Scripture where it talks about submitting to the work of Jesus in our lives is a reference to this whole reality of being willing to partner with what Jesus wants to do. That's what submission means. And so anytime that we've ever used it to mean something other than that, we've kind of moved away from the biblical framework and definition of what submission looks like. So if that's your story, if you're somebody who has felt that pressure, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry that that's been your experience and that been, that's been your pain. I hope you can find healing here in 2022. If you yourself have exercised that authority to that level, that expectation that women would submit to you as a man, then, I, then I'm sorry, you gotta go and apologize for overextending your biblical authority in some way because that's not the way of Jesus. To submit to one another is willing to partner with. Now, here's one of the reasons why I think that he highlights this, Paul, specifically to Titus to talk to the ladies in the Crete area. He knows that women are independent. They don't need us guys to find success, okay? He knows that. You, you, you see this all the time in our world, in our culture. Unfortunately, when you have a, a single parent reality, the majority of the time, it's the mom that's caring for the household and the needs of the children and all that stuff, and there's an absent father. Not all the time. Sometimes the roles are reversed, but primarily, that happens to be the case. And guess what happens? Most often, those families are, are thriving. Maybe not to the, to the full of when they, they would have other voices kind of sharing in their, their journey together, but they're doing well. They're independent Women are created with great resiliency and strength. I've often said to myself that if we as dudes had to go through labor, that the world itself would be far less populated than it is today. There's a lot of strength and resilience and determination and Christ-likeness in the female gender in our world. There's a lot of ability to do things on your own. But what what we're reminded here in this chunk of scripture is that, you know what? We're supposed to be willing to partner with one another so that we get a full expression of God's love for our community, God's love for our world, and live from that space. Do it differently than any other culture, than any other reality, than any other social construct in our world today. Live from a biblical perspective. And sometimes I think, women, you need to be reminded that, that it's okay to partner with other people along the journey and to find wholeness in that journey in community with one another. Interestingly enough, phrases that are used in this section of the Scripture are similar to the ones that are used previously to live wisely, to make sure that you're investing in the next generation and looking to grow those relational connections with one another. Then we get to younger guys. Let's talk about the younger guys section a little bit. And in this section, Titus is being encouraged to remind the younger dudes, basically in my, my paraphrase, to find people who will invest in them. Sometimes what happens is we think we've got it all figured out at age 12 or 10 or 52 or whatever. And instead of looking for people to continue to invest in us, we kind of say, you know, we've got this all figured out. We found our groove. We're going to take it from here. And instead, if we would embrace the mentality of, of understanding that every single day that we have on this planet is a day that we can learn something new, then maybe we'll find those tenured voices, those older voices that will help shape us and grow us and develop us in some way. 
You've heard me maybe share stories previously of some other guys throughout the duration of my life who invested in me. Guys like Dan and Steve and James and so many others. Well, there's this guy named Mark who found me as a, an older teenage guy. And what he decided to do was invest in me in incredible ways. He would bring me down to the, the speedway where he would race his dragster. I hated cars, but it didn't matter because he just wanted to spend time with me. And he, he and Eric and I would hang out, and he would be like, hey, you can do this and recalibrate this. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, go team. He, would, he found me. He invested in me. He noticed me. He grew in me some basic skills so that, I, you know, when I got to change a tire on my vehicle, I know how to change a tire now because I've got a guy like Mark alongside of my dad who taught me those skills. Now, I didn't go looking for Mark, but it taught me something early on that when I see something that somebody else is really good at and I want to learn that skill, that I'm going to have to find a little bit of courage to approach that individual and ask them if they would help me in that way. That's what happened with my friend Steve. My friend Steve is an executive director of a missional agency out in Western Canada, and Steve is a brilliant leadership strategist. He is excellent in so many things. And I recognized from Steve that there were so many gaps in my understanding and my learning. And so I approached Steve one day and said, Steve, I just, I just need to spend time with you and ask you a bajillion questions so that you can invest in me in some way. And he said, sure. And so over the duration of several years, five, six, seven, we would meet monthly, we would meet quarterly, whatever our, our schedules allowed. We would pray together. We would grow together. We would learn together. I'm not the leader that I am today without a guy like Steve's influence in my life investing in me. See, far too often as younger people, we get this mentality where we're like, you know what? I'm not old enough yet to make a difference or to have an impact. And that simply isn't true. You were made to love and live like Jesus. And think about it for a moment. If, if, if us as younger folks, I, th- I still think I'm young. When you talk to my kids, they're like, you're ancient, man. If younger folks would intentionally love and live like Jesus wherever they are, in their school, their family, their neighborhood, our city of Brockville, what might the social narrative become? I mean, think about it for a moment. When you, think, when you see a group of teenagers hanging out in our community right now, what thoughts come to your mind? Ooh, they're going to be a COVID carrier of some kind. Or, ooh, I wonder what sort of damage they're going to do. Or let's cross to the other side of the road. Especially if it's like at dusk and you're like, what are they going to do? There's no lights. We've got all these preconceived notions of what young people are or aren't. What if we changed the script? What if you as a young person said, you know what, I'm just going to embrace who God has made me to be. And as I do that and I step into what God has in mind for me, I'm going to love like Jesus. I'm going to live like Jesus. I'm going to find some older people who know a little bit more about this one thing that I'm really interested in. Maybe it's business. Maybe it's how to be a good dad. Maybe it's how to be a great husband. Maybe it's how to you know, golf better. I don't know. 
But if we as younger people would step into that mission, that opportunity, and that moment with some sense of intentionality, how different might the social narratives become? If you see a group of teens walking around and you're like, ah, but I know them, that's Ben, and that's James, and that's Thomas, and that's Michael. I know them, and I know they're trying to be who God's created them to be. And then we start praying for them, and then we start seeing how God is working in them and through them, and it's amazing. Sometimes as younger people, we have to find a little bit of courage to go to an older person and ask to learn something. A lot of times in our world, we have people that want to tell us a lot of things, want to show us, hey man, if you do it like this, if you do this, if you say this, you're going to get ahead in life, and we just don't want to receive it. We want to figure it out on our own. Well, sometimes we too have to embrace that posture of submission, willingness to partner with somebody that might know something that we don't yet fully understand and know. And from that place, allow us to live wisely. So why don't we, what if we just adopted a new narrative instead of you know, being the best online gamer that we can be? Maybe we can adopt a narrative of like, maybe I'm going to be somebody who learns well and lives wisely in all facets of my life because I've got people, not just my mom and my dad or my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents. I've got these other people in my extended church family that know me by name, that are investing in me in some way. You might have to start kindling that relationship of some kind. Two more things. Let's talk about authorities. So there's a section where Titus is being encouraged by Paul to remind slaves to obey their masters. Here's the, the concept and the idea from a biblical perspective. Authorities are in place for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it is to hyper-control. Sometimes it's for our benefit. But the way you and I choose to interact with the authorities above us could make a significant difference in somebody's willingness to entertain the idea that God is alive and God is real. What that means is how you and I operate under the cumbersome nature of authoritative structures at times could be directly, directly related to somebody's experience of who Jesus is. What I'm not advocating for is for us to blindly follow all suggestions of all authorities in all types. What I'm asking us to do is to biblically discern what it means to live wisely under the authority of another governing agency or body or expectation. Like if you're in a classroom setting, the governing authority that you're sitting in is the, the instructor, the teacher, the hierarchy of that school or that environment, the president, the principal, the vice principal, and how you operate relationally in that environment speaks to God's wisdom, God's reality, God's character. And when you don't do that well, it also speaks to who God is because people will see who he is through the way you choose to live. Even right now in these COVID-19 realities, which I don't know if we're changing the name to COVID-22 or what, as we head into our third year of pandemic, endemic, whatever the phraseology is, man, it's frustrating. I'm tired of a mask. I'm tired of social distancing. I'm tired of so many things. But the way I choose to navigate through that reality and to live from that space speaks to 
who God is. Now, we might, we might be like, well, that's not fair. That's not fair to be judging who God is by the way you and I choose to live, those of us who choose to follow Jesus. But, but that's what happens all of the time. Just ask a young family when you go out and your kids are crazy in public, you're getting all sorts of judgments that are happening about your family based on the behavior of your children. Right? It happens all the time. One of our kids used to love to pee wherever. And so what happened is like we'd be out walking like on a trail and he's like, I have to go pee. But that didn't mean that he has to go pee. That means he's already peeing. And sure enough, sure enough, you turn around, he's already got his, you know, pants down by his ankles and letting it fly wherever. And we're not the only ones in that space. The looks that we would get, the conversations that we would have, oblivious to that young little one who's like, woohoo, the whole world is my urinal. The way we choose to live matters. The way we choose to interact with the authorities above us matters. The way we choose to talk about those people matters. I've been in leadership now in ministry capacity for over 20 years. It's not easy to be a leader in any situation. It's not easy to be a parent. It's not easy to be a friend. It's not easy to be a spouse. It's not easy to be a neighbor. Life isn't easy. There's no easy button for life. Our invitation is to live wisely within the constructs of all those authorities around us and all those authorities that at times impose things on us. How do we biblically discern what it means to love like Jesus and live like Jesus in that moment? Speaking of Jesus, it's all about him. Paul kind of ends this section of the chapter 2 reminding us of we're all waiting for the day when Jesus would return, when he's going to make everything new again, restoring all things to its proper design, its intent, its original concept. And he reminds us that you and I, we can't do any of the stuff that we just talked about unless Jesus is alive in us and living through us. That's the only reason that we'd be able to recognize our own age as a gift and embrace it no matter how young or old we are or we feel and understand that we can live and move and breathe from that space. If you do not yet know Jesus or if you've drifted from Jesus or if you think Jesus is just a good idea to pull out on a Sunday, May I remind you and encourage you and and hopefully inspire you to understand that without Christ, there is no life. Without Jesus, there is no life. You can try your best to figure it out on your own, but you will always end up in the same space, empty and broken and alone. But with Jesus, you will understand that even in those moments of brokenness and emptiness, You are not alone. And it's the healing and the mending and the restoration that's happening in that moment that's going to build you up for what is to come, what is happening, and give you something in your hand to be able to invest in the lives of other people that you know or do not yet know who are going to go through something similar in what you're facing in the moment.
So that's a lot to dig into and digest. There's a ton of stuff there. I want to suggest to you there, there are two things that you and I can take with us into this next week ahead that could help us filter through all the stuff that's packed in this single chapter of this letter. The first is this. Let's, let's not use our age in a, as an excuse. Let's use it as an opportunity. Like, let's stop saying, well, I'm too old for, or I'm too young to, and instead use it as an opportunity. Maybe you don't yet know that skill. It's an opportunity at your age to learn and develop that skill, to find somebody, to add to your world, to learn from, to grow from. Maybe you're, you're thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm too old. Who's going to want to hear anything from me? Maybe you just got to flip that narrative and understand that your age is a gift. Your age is a gift. Your experiences are a gift. The challenges that you've gone through are a gift. And somebody needs to hear your story, your journey, your adventure, your ups and your downs, your highs and your lows, because they're in that same place and they don't know if they're going to be able to make it through. But you're a seasoned, weathered veteran that can remind them that there's hope on the other side of the journey of despair, of grief, of pain, of confusion, of joy, excitement, you name it. What if we just stopped using our age as an excuse to not engage with what God wants to do and start seeing it as an opportunity? That could be life-changing for many of us. And the second thing is paired along with it. What if we what if we did that? So if we, if we said, okay, I'm not going to use my age as an excuse, then what? Where do I go from there? Well, what if I asked Jesus, who needs to know what I know? Who needs to know what I know? As a parent, I understand that I can teach my kids a, a lot of things, and I've got a responsibility to do that. But I've learned that sometimes an outside voice who says something very similarly to how I've been saying it for the last eight years in 30 seconds can create more movement and momentum forward in the life of one of my kids than I did in the last eight. Sometimes we need those other supportive voices in our world to help move us forward. And God has given us an ability and a platform with our very lives to invest in other people. So maybe we need to be willing to ask that question of who needs to know what I know, allow Jesus to lead us to those people, and then, then don't start the conversation with like, hey, God's told me I have something to tell you and to teach you. Start the conversation with prayer. And be like, hey, Daniel... George, Sally, Susan, whatever the name is, I see something in you that's pretty cool, and I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. How can I be doing that? And through that establishment of a relationship and a friendship, you're going to find over time that you're going to have all sorts of opportunity to invest all the knowledge that you've been given into the life of this person who might be in a similar age bracket as you, or might be in a vastly different age bracket as you. Age is just a number. God can use whomever, whenever, wherever, if we are willing. I wonder if we did those two things and put them into practice, 
in a brand new year here, if that would help us become better space invaders in the lives of people. It would allow us to schedule our calendars more succinctly alongside of what Jesus wants to do on how he wants to use us and move us and inspire us and bless us even if we are willing. So let me pray for you and for me in that space. As we start out this brand new adventure, this brand new year, maybe there's something that God has in mind for us that we have no idea yet. But if we're willing, it could make all the difference. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to invest in people. And Jesus, I recognize that sometimes it's, it's hard to do that. For those of us that are more introverted in nature, we're like, oof, carving out more time for people. Man, what am I going to recharge? Jesus, sometimes you invite us to do challenging, more difficult things, not because you want us to be filled with pain, but because you want us to grow and mature. And so, Jesus, I ask and I invite that you'd allow us to partner with you, to submit to what you want to have happen in our lives, whether we're introverted or extroverted, that you would allow us to find the rhythm that works well alongside of you, to embrace it, to enjoy it, to be saturated by it and nourished by it, and allow you to lead us forward in all the idiosyncrasies that are on our calendars the ones that we're currently aware of and the ones that we're not yet aware of. Jesus, I ask that uh, you would remind us that even in the moments of great challenge and pain, we are not alone. Father, I ask that you'd remind us that age, it's just a number. It's not meant to be used in a, as an excuse. I'm too young, nobody's going to notice me. Or I'm too old, what do I have to contribute or I'm too middle-aged, what does that have to do with it? Jesus, I ask instead that you'd allow us to see the age of life that we're in as a gift and an opportunity to be moved and grown and inspired by you as we invest in other people. Would you speak, Father, as we desire to hear from you? Remind us of whose we are in you and allow us to be the men and women, the young people that you've created us to be. Would you bless us and protect us? Would you make your face shine upon us? Be gracious to us. Would you grant us your favor and your peace? We pray these things in your name. Amen.